like, why, why did I make it through? And he did. He was funny. Yeah. You know, like, he was, he was a good person too. Yes. Right. Right. He, right. Right. You know, so that's when I started kind of thinking of suicide in those terms as like cancer of the soul a little bit. Yes. You know, that was the only way I could make sense of it. And people said some really, I, I mean, I think people are well intended, but people will always say stuff like, well, did you know he was going to do it? You know, like things like that. And you're like, yeah. And I just sat there and watched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, it's like, of course I knew. Of yeah, course yeah. I knew. I knew and I day, didn't do I anything. Time. Yeah. yeah. Hi, and welcome everybody to the Undo Anxiety podcast, um, where uh, I hope that the stories we tell here. Um, alleviate some of the anxiety you might be experiencing at home or with your family. So um, we are going to tell some stories today that I think are going to prove pretty interesting. I have um, a fascinating guest today, a good friend and a valued, overvalued colleague. Uh, Laura Kaler is with me today. Welcome, Laura. Hi, John. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Laura and I have, uh, you are going to find a lot in common, including a wall that (laughs) that lies between our offices. Um, So um, I'm hoping that you are willing to share with us a little bit today about the the story of your early life that brings you to the great therapist that sits across (laughs) from me today and how how you kind of kind of came to be in this position. Okay. Um, So um Let's start with the good stuff. You know, what, what was what was early childhood like for you? You know, what, did you have a normal upbringing? Was it an intact family? How did things go early on? Well, thank you for having me today, John. This is, uh, I'm very excited about it, about being here. Um, I grew up in a military family. Um, I had two older brothers. We were all three years apart. And my parents were married until the day my dad died. So they're almost 60 years. Wow. And we moved, we didn't move as much as um, in my years, but when my brothers were little, they moved a lot. But I really only lived in three places with my parents. I was born in Indiana, we moved to Florida, and then we moved to Virginia. So not the army brat um, story we hear sometimes of like, I moved 30 times and I switched schools a dozen times. and Not at all. I moved to Virginia when I, my dad came home from Vietnam, I was eight. Uh-huh. And just a year ago at this time, I moved my mom out of that house. Is that right? Yes. Wow. So I grew up in the same house. I took my kids back there. That was our, our family home. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so um, some interesting things happened early in your life, right? Correct. Um, give us a little insight into how things went um, You know, as you approached your teenage years. Well, as I approached my teenage years, I had had a couple of things happen when I was younger um, that kind of made sense later. But, you know, at some point, you know, this was the 70s and people were drinking, people were doing uh, smoking weed. And I think I think what happened was I had two older brothers and both my brothers partook in marijuana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, one, and one of them was six years older, if I had yes. my math is right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like when I was 12, my oldest brother was 18. So when he left, he ended up joining the army as a young, you know, like right out of high school. But my other brother and I were really, really close. And we had a lot of mutual friends for whatever reason. Um, like his friends had younger siblings and we all kind of uh, hung out together. Okay. And so you know, there was a lot that, you know, went on back then. And we, you know, I think the first time I ever had a drink of alcohol, 
I think I was 12. No kidding. Yes. And I had, I remember it was malt duck. And which <laughs> the good like, stuff. Oh, oh the, the good stuff. And um, so I, I can remember, I can remember drinking, you know, here and there, like 12 and 13. But when I was 13, um, I went to, I, we, a bunch of us were going to a, we used to have football games and then a sock hop afterwards. Right. And it really wasn't like the sock hops of the 50s, but um, <laughs> it was more like Freebird and Led Zeppelin stuff. <laughs> right. Um, but a bunch of us decided we were going to drink before the, the dance, and somebody brought gin. And I'd never had gin. I had only had malt duck and beer here and there. Right. But we kept drinking it thinking, I'm not feeling anything yet. And so we get to the dance. This thing we hear from kids all the time yeah. now, right? Like, yeah. oh, I did eight shots and I still yeah. don't feel it, so I better have a couple more. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. a couple more, whatever. I got into the dance and I got, I, I danced for a little bit. And the next thing I knew, it was the next day. Mm-hmm. And I apparently got really sick. And Of course, right? Of and, course. Yeah. And again, I was 13. This was 1977. And my dad had to carry me out. They had to call my dad. And I got suspended from school mm-hmm. for five days for no the whole kidding. week. Yes. Yeah. And it was scandalous. Was this a big deal at the time? Big, big deal. Yeah. I'm a freshman in high school, drunk at a sock hop. I am, you know, 14. Yeah, something like 13, 14. Right. I think I was 13. And, you know, kids just didn't do, I mean, kids did it, but they didn't get caught like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, like, was did the culture support that? Like, as I've talked to people around our age who would say, you know, like, yeah, everybody drank when we were 13 or 14. They did. And in my high school, I would say, like, eh, I think people were a little closer to, like, 17 or 18, you know? Right. And, but I think there's a culture around these things. Right. And I, I think I think the other part was is that my brothers were part of mm-hmm. that, you know, and, like, we could always, if you ever wanted it at the time, you could you could get it. Right. But my parents were very upset, and I was grounded, like, indefinitely. And I just remember at that point, like, I, I can remember just, you know, the, the song that I always used to listen to at the time was Hotel California by the Eagles. And I, I've just started getting back into the Eagles. But at the time, I would listen to that, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, wh- how am I ever going to recover from this? There wasn't – nobody did counseling back then. My parents didn't right, right, offer right. it. It was like, you just need to be better. Yeah. Fix you know, it. fix it, mm-hmm. fix it. Be, be, you know, look at how this looks at our family. We, my parents didn't drink, but we have a history of alcoholism that goes way back with both of my, my paternal and maternal grandfather were both alcoholics, died very young. Got it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Both sides of your family mm-hmm. tree. Okay. Both my mom's dad and my dad's dad. Okay. Both died very, like in their 40s, 50s. And is that the reason your parents didn't drink as far as we know? Well, they my my parents drank, but they were like moderate, Got and it. and and they both had really chaotic lives growing up. Like, my mom's mom also died when she was four. My dad was raised by other family members. So what ended up happening was, is I think my parents felt like as long as we had two parents, we were better than they were, and we should be okay. And Got as it. long as a Christmas card looked good, everything was fine. Got and it. you had to be a certain way. My dad was in the military. Everything was just so. Isn't it interesting how we create our parental bars based on our experiences, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, my, my kids have a mom and a dad in the house. They're, they're in better shape than I was, Absolutely. so this should just work out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, I think what ended up happening was that, like, my oldest brother drank a lot. Yeah. And some, did drugs. Right. My other brother did the same. And then here I am. And I can remember my parents specifically telling me, 
you should learn from your brother's mistakes. So like I'm, I I can't experiential learn. Right. You know. Right. You and just not, have to learn not. Yeah, to. just yeah. learn not to. So I think at the and and in, in my house too, I think part of it was generational, but in our house it was the guys. You know, they were valued, and I my mom never finished college. She got married, had kids, mm-hmm. stayed home, and. I was expected to go to college, and right. I ended up obviously going to college after many colleges. By and then day. some, right? And then some, <laughs> but um, and that's part of the story. But I think I think that that was just the perception was that the boys were not that they were more valued because my brothers always thought I was the favorite. So it's always that weird perception, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. But I just I just think that that was the the generation. Was there an assumption that as a girl? you were going to be okay, like that, that boys engage in this reckless behavior. Boys are the ones who are drinking hard and doing drugs. And, you know, as a girl, you're going to be more moderate somehow. You're going to fit in the lane better. Yes, I think there was. And, I, th- you know, like I can remember my parents. I grew up in a baseball family. We were – I've gone to baseball games since I was like four because we lived in Florida and went to spring training at the time. Oh, right. Yeah, and it was great, and I love baseball. But the thing was is that there was never anything we did as a family that was like me. And I can tell my, I can remember my parents, because I was a swimmer, I was a diver, I did gymnastics. I can remember my parents saying, the most boring thing is swimming. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, but wait a minute, I'm good. And I right. was good. I was a great swimmer. I went to state as a freshman right before the drinking incident. No kidding. I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I was a good swimmer. Yeah, and, you were. And so, uh, but anyway, I just think that my parents, you know, with their, their bias and their generation, and my dad being a traditionalist, you know, that's just kind of how it was. I was expected to just be okay. Yep. Yep. That like you said, the boys could the boys they shouldn't have done it, but it was okay that they did. Right. But you can't. Kind of boys will be boys. Yeah. And and the focus was on them even in athletics. Like yes. boys are boys are athletic. And, yeah. and I think there is a generational thing. I, I actually think it carries over a little bit into this generation, Absolutely. unfortunately. You know? Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but I think it's better than it used to be. But it's it's kind of curious to hear like Oh yeah, you were you were a state, you know, qualifying uh, swimmer as a freshman. As a freshman. As a freshman on a relay. Oh yeah, so let's pause for a second. You're 14 or 15 years right. old at the time. Right. You're a rock star swimmer. And my brothers, nothing like my my one brother did cross country, quit because they caught him smoking in the smoking lounge outside of the school. Oh yeah. My other brother. Smoking lounge was an air quotes. By yes, the way. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> and then uh, then my other brother was a great. They both were really good at baseball. My oldest brother especially, but he just you know it didn't it didn't um, go anywhere because you know of the demons that I think plagued all three of us in the family. Yes. And yet, and yet you hit right away. You were a good swimmer Mm -hmm. a really very good swimmer. Mm -hmm. Was this in Florida? No, this was in Northern Virginia, which is like, like here. Got it. Competitive. Got it. Okay. So, so in a very competitive Mm -hmm. state, you were swimming state as Mm -hmm. a freshman and, and nobody was really interested. No, no. Curious. Yeah. In fact, I think I, yeah, they, they, there wasn't a lot of, Interest. We went down to UVA, and that's where we swam. That was where state was held. I'm not hearing the bitterness I would expect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would expect some of like you know. I can't believe my parents weren't all about that. You know what? I think it's that. I think it's that it's been so long, yeah. and I think I made peace with it at some point along the way. But it, at the time, I I don't know if I even wanted them. I I. I I guess the thing that I felt with my mom and dad, as much as I do love them, because I do, mm-hmm. and we, 
in later years as I grew up and, and again, made peace with things, we had a really good relationship as, yeah. much as, as much as you can. Some things they'll never know, which is just the way it is. But I, I think at the time, I just didn't want them in my stuff. Got it. So it was fine. You yeah. had your own life and yeah. you were a teenager and yeah. they were segmented out. Right. Got and it. I always felt like even when they did say stuff, it was the things I didn't do well, like algebra. Like I was not a good student. I got out of high school like barely with a 2 Oh, is that barely. right? Yeah. I I didn't do any homework. I didn't. I, I wouldn't. I yeah. just, I was more, social things were more important. Yeah. Friends. I had a great friend group that I'm still friends with today despite everything I've been through that have loved me through it all. So, I mean, I guess I guess I just kind of shifted my love to my friends and yeah. fam- and they, they became Family. my people. Yeah, mm-hmm. they became your people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did that work for you? That sound I mean, that that's a, the arc of that story sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Did it did it work as well as it sounds? Okay, well, here's what happened was okay, so after I got suspended from school, yes. no friends, like mass exodus. Uh, stay away from that Laura girl. Laura is not. She's a, trouble. She's trouble. Yeah. Okay. Oh, she's the one. Yeah. She's the one. And so. Ooh, that had to be tough. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. It was awful. I was very isolated. I was grounded. I I hadn't I had nothing. I really didn't. So I really got into music at that point, which I know we have a mutual love for that. Yes. Um. So yeah, I. We, we both have a a, a a an unhealthy Springsteen issue. Yes, that we'll we do. Get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do. And so I. I really turned to music, and um, and I st- and at that point I started like trying to figure out. My my instinct was how do I get out of this? It wasn't like I don't remember feeling depressed about it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wanted to. I wanted to. I felt like I was in a well and I needed to climb out, and there were no stairs. And so that was kind of, and and it's how I am today. Like I've had experiences even today where I felt like how do I get out of it? But at that time. You know, I'm 13. I, I it was 19. I'm bad at math, obviously. Um, but I think you were saying 1977. 70, yeah, it was 70. Yeah. It was March 19th, 1977, when it happened. I have a weird memory for dates. So, but it was it it was at that time that I at swim team in the in the summer because mm-hmm. I was on a summer league. When it finally started, I met this girl, and she kind of looked like me. So I was like. And people had told me, oh, have you met this girl, Kim? She looks just like you. And I was like, no, she can't look like me because this is me. Right. And we met, and we hit it off, and we did look alike. And <laughs> we're still friends today. Is but that right? Yes. But her family became – they loved me. Like It was like, oh, Laura's here for dinner. Of course, it's a meal. She's here. And I, they just took me in. What a breath of fresh air that yeah. must have been for the isolated oh, young my, Laura. And, and for parents who thought I was the bomb. You know, uh-huh. like my parents were always like, shh, stop, behave. These people thought I was a riot. And and I'll tell you what, their one daughter, that not my best friend daughter, but their other daughter, who is probably a best friend now, lives in Aurora, and we still hang out. So it's it's been a lifetime friendship. No kidding. But, but I don't know what I would have done without Bob and Sal. That's yeah. the parents' names. Yeah. And I don't know what I would have done without them. Well, I'm thinking about your story, you know, just so far, and I'm thinking like, you know, of the resources that are available to families right now mm-hmm. that weren't available to you then. Like, I'm no. thinking like, you know, like, okay, so you're isolated, you've been suspended, you're uh, ostracized, and there's not a school social worker you no. go down to see, no. right? And you've, been, mm-hmm. and, you, and you've been that social I've worker now, right? I've been that social right? worker. Uh, so I can imagine that you you 
really get the value of that for I do. a kid. Yeah? I do. And when I think about when somebody's been through something, I almost want to say, and sometimes you know how you share sometimes personal experiences with a client if it's relevant. Right. There are times where it is it is important to let them know, you know what, I've I've been there. I yeah. know what it's like. And, you know, obviously you do it delicately, but you know, when you're through something like that and it feels like you're on the cover of People magazine, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to remember that a new issue comes out every week and it's somebody else. But when it's you and you're in it, it feels like your face is on that cover every day of every week. Oh, it, it, it makes me sick for you. It, it, it's almost as if there were Snapchat and Instagram oh. and you were like showing up over and over and over Thank again. Thank God there wasn't. Right. You know, when I think back to growing up in this life mm-hmm. compared to what we did with the media, I am very lucky. Yeah. I am very lucky because it gets worse because I, I was I was good for a long time in high school. Like I didn't drink all of sophomore year. Junior year, I did a little bit. Okay. And then senior year, it was back. And it was back. Yeah, I was drinking. Yeah. yeah. And we were partying and... You know, little weed here and there. Not really, because that that just made me quiet, and I didn't like being quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the drinking really took root my senior year in high school. And and um, in the culture where you were, how beyond the norm was that? Because I'm thinking like, um, I, I think you know, like um, there's alcoholism in my family, and so mm-hmm. I I never drank, and. I was odd man out senior year in high school. I was right. the designated driver because everybody was drinking. So, right. you know, were you, did you feel like, well, I'm just in stride with everybody else? Or did you feel like, mm, this feels different than what that girl there is going through? I think in our group and, and the people, like I went to a big high school, kind of the kind of size of you know, ones around here. Yes. Um, like and, a thousand people classes. Uh, I think we were like 700. Close enough. Yeah. yeah. And this was like, I graduated in 1980. Right. So um, I think that a lot of my peers were doing the same thing, or I thought they were. And I was the one that was, if somebody wanted to go out, I was ready to go. You were game. I was always game. And then when it came time for tests, I wasn't ready. Like, and that's kind of how high school was and definitely how college was the first time around. And and, and is, is drinking... To blame for that, would you, when you reflect back on that 2.0 GPA, and I'm sitting across mm-hmm. from somebody who clearly isn't a 2.0 <laughs> quali- you know, quality right. student, um, is that a, a function of like I was out partying every night, and that's you know that's what you end up with on the on the transcript? I just don't think I was engaged in learning. I felt like I wasn't smart. I felt like I was you know I was voted class clown. I I think I felt like that was my role. Mm. And school was secondary. I, but in somewhere in there, I always thought things would work out. You did. Yeah, I had that in me. Where did that? Where Where did that come from? You know what? I don't know because that's me climbing out of the well. Uh huh. I turn into a massive problem solver in the midst of a crisis. Like, how do we, how do we make this better? Not how do we fix it because I know things aren't fixable. Right. But how do I? How do I? make sure this never happens again. So even at 15, 16, 17 years old, do you is it is it you that you trust to make things work out? Do you know that you'll make it work out or do you feel like no my family or this extended family I've created somehow or do you feel like no I think, I, I think even as a, a kid with the the drinking at that situation, I knew I had to fix. I knew I had to make things better. And you I did. didn't know how. Yeah, and I and the first thing was, well I'm never drinking again. That was the first one. 
And for a while that worked and then peer pressure. And I was like, what the heck, you know, things, yeah. that was an abomaly or what anomaly, right? That, right. that wasn't something that was real. Um, and you know, obviously later I learned more about it, but I think in that moment I wanted to, I wanted that feeling to go away. I didn't ever want to be in that position again. Got it. Got it. So what happens after that? Okay. So high school, um, you know, senior year of high school, we all are, um, applying to college right. and me with my whopping two O. Um, the college I wanted to go to, I didn't get into, but I got into another school in Virginia. Right. And I, a lot of my friends were going there, so it was a great idea. And so we went, and college was great. I had a blast. Um, I started dating a guy that was a friend of my older brother's, and he was at the school next, he was at the, there was another bigger school near ours. Got it. And so we started dating, and we ended up dating for quite a long time, but, um, you know, the first, I had not, no, the first night we were at college, I got really, really sick. And the first like, night? The very first night. And all the pictures, I am not in. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, that was when that happened. And I blackout drank from the very beginning. Like, that was that was kind of my path. Did you have, um, you know, I've worked with um, mostly girls who had a, 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 who have a very low threshold for that, too, where it would be like, you know, oh, I can drink a few beers, but if I drink, like, you know, a little bit of liquor, you know, mm -hmm. uh, then I black out pretty fast. Were you in that league, or did, what, did it take no, a lot to get there? It took a lot no for kidding. me to get there originally. Yeah. And over time, towards the end of my drinking career, I realized that there were times where I would have two beers and I couldn't even talk. Wow. Like, it was like this weird, I couldn't, I couldn't count on it anymore. Right. Like, it was unpredictable, and so was I. So I couldn't, I couldn't gauge it towards the end. But, Interesting. Um, so you did, it's not like, oh, I established a tolerance and I know mm -hmm. where the lines are. You didn't know no, where the lines were. I had no line. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would just keep drinking until I passed out. It sounds scary. Mm -hmm. Was it? Oh, it was because there were many times where I would wake up and have no memory of anything. Um, I remember waking up my freshman year to a knock on the door and my roommate had been out of town that weekend. And I looked around the room and I had gotten sick everywhere. And I went to answer the door, and it was my parents surprising me with my brother for my birthday. And I'm like, and my brother saw, like, the condition of me, and he told my parents, he's like, why don't you guys go get breakfast? And he came in and was like, and this is my, my brother who ended up passing away. But right. he's like, he was like, oh, my God, what happened? You know, like, and he was fixing things. And I was like, why did you surprise me? You know, no cell phones, no nothing. Back right, then. right, right. So people just showed he up. He couldn't text you and let no, you know, mom and dad, five coming, minutes, get yeah. ready. Yeah. So, you know, that was one of the things. And even at the time that my brother was, you know, both brothers were drinking pretty heavily. Yeah. So it was, um, and drinking, and then they got it. My one brother, the one that was older than me, was getting into other drugs, like specifically cocaine at the time. Got it. Got it. So, um, you know, that was one instance. And then, you know, the drinking just became a part of everything. And I was like, okay, I, I just, I drank all the time. And my sophomore year of college... Um, we had come back from holiday break and I was with a, a really very good friend of mine today. Ironically, our mothers lived down the hall from each other at the retirement home. <laughs> <laughs> and the big joke is if they, if they do what we did, we're not answering their calls. <laughs> but my friend and I, I was the one who did it. I pulled a fire alarm, which is a felony. Um, and I got kicked out of college. 
for pulling the aforementioned fire. No kidding, okay. Yes, and they never would have known, but I turned myself in. I felt really bad about it. People, there had been fire alarms pulled all night. I lived in a 13-story dorm. It happens. Um, But I did it, and apparently somebody got hurt when I, at Ah. the time I did it, and I felt really bad. So I turned myself in. I got kicked out for two quarters. My friend got kicked off campus, and she never went back to college. She has been crazily successful in her life, but... I was sent home, and that ride home, five hours, was hell. Oof. Who, my who were you with? Your my dad? dad? My dad. And Is your and dad the he, heavy? Is he the one? He was the heavy, uh-huh. and it was silent for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was back home. I had worked at the Pentagon as a clerk, you know, the summer before, because my dad had got me a job there. And so I, I, I went home on a Thursday. I was back in the Pentagon on Friday. And I was like, oh, my God, this sucks, <laughs> you know? You wanted to be at school. I wanted to be. I didn't want to be at the Pentagon. I thought I'd have a couple <laughs> right. of days to kind of figure things out. And no, it was right back. Yeah. Living at home, doing that. And, you know. And are you under surveillance? Like, is it probationary as can be? Well, I never got to drive. So I didn't have a car. So every, like, and I had good friends that would always pick me up. So I, and I had some friends that lived in the area still or were going to school in the area, but. You know, my parents were mad, mm-hmm. and I had to pay them back for school. And so I worked, and I continued to drink. And this was 1982, so my drinking continued. 82 to 85 were really, like, heavy drinking. Yeah. Like, I call them the blackout years, because there's not a lot of Not memory. a lot of memory mm-hmm. there? Uh, I can remember music. Yeah? Again. Interesting. Music. Yeah. <laughs> the music would always take me back. Is there a song in particular like that that, that that colors those years for you? Oh gosh, I can't. Uh, there's so many. Like 1982, it just comes and goes. It was a lot of like minute work, that kind of stuff. Um, right. Just uh, those kind of songs. But back to our love of music. Back in '78 was the first time I saw Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And his music just always made me feel heard. And even when I went to college. The river came out that year, and I would look out my window, and there was the new river in Virginia, because that's where I was. Wow. And I would just listen to his songs over and over and over again. And um, it just it just helped me through a lot. Uh-huh. And then my my um, my brother got us tickets, and we I think he was at the Cap Center in, in Maryland like two or three times, and so we went every single night. And it's just been something that's kind of stuck with me whenever I hear that music it it does bring me peace yeah yeah that's so that's so interesting I mean it brings me peace in a in a completely different way and inspiration mm-hmm. I think you know in my life it was um uh we'll probably end up talking about Bruce more you know like but I remember like it was seeing him was this revelation I'd had a very sheltered life up till that night and I was 16 wow. and like you know and uh, and I remember thinking Oh, whatever, whatever hap- is happening up there on that stage, I want, I want to feel like that. I, right. I want to feel like this forever, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and what you know, and, and my parents were panic stricken just right. for that, like you know, oh, like John's joined a cult in a way right. of some kind, you know. But um, I think, I think Bruce has that kind of impact on people generally. He does. So. 82 to 85, that's a lot. Of, that's a long dark period, right? It that's is. a thousand dark days. It is. Yeah. Um, and I lived at home until, I think I moved out in 85. I moved out in 85 out of my parents' house. I was paying rent, living at home. 
And then when I moved out, um, I think it was like in January of 85, my drinking just got really, really, really bad. And I think it was um, at some point I had left the government, was working private industry, and I got let go of a job mm. because I was, I was, th- they probably thought I was hungover. I had probably been drinking in the morning. Ah. So I would drink in the morning just to kind of take that edge off. Yep. And Hair I was of the 22. Dog, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was 22. Yeah. And so, um, and I didn't have a car. So I would, I, you know, I would walk to the store, buy stuff and bring it home. Are you aware, Laura, at the time, is it hitting you like, there's something not right about this. You know, I, I, I always wonder about this when people are deep in the thick of it. Like my brother who passed away, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always wonder in his heaviest drinking times, did he know? Was he even thinking about, you know, like, this is probably not good. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- I think I would agree that I felt that. I also, I just, at that moment, like my whole, the, the way I was typically with problem solving, I was like, I just want people to be off my back. I'm sick of everybody. Like every time I would go out with people, they'd be like, you know, we have to babysit you because it was always bad. Yeah. And so people didn't want to go out with me anymore. That was the thing. And I was a social. You weren't fun. No, I was a, I was a burden. Yeah. And you were a patient maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I hated that feeling. So what I ended up doing was, um, after I lost that job, my parents, my dad called me on, on a Friday and said, or I don't even know what day of the week it was, but my dad called and said, um, we need to talk to you and I'll come over and get you because I didn't have a car. Right. So my dad came over and got me and it was August 4th, 1985. You do have a knack for dates. I do. Okay. And he said, if you don't stop drinking, and it was my dad, my mom, and my brother, the one brother I was really, my brother Mark or Barney, who was three years older than me. Mm-hmm. And they said, if if you don't quit, we don't want anything to do with you. Wow. And I was like, how do I get them off my back? Again, problem solving. Because I just wanted them to get off my back. And my You dad, weren't thinking, I want to stop drinking. No, you were thinking, not at like, all. How do I just, how do I get past this moment yeah. and calm this crisis and, down? And get them away. Yeah. And so my dad said, um, you need to go to AA. And I was like, I'm not going to AA. And... Um, he gave me a list of meetings. He had found a, a thing, and he said, there's one right by your where you live. You can and walk there, kind You can of, walk there uh-huh. and get a cab home. I'll give you cab fare because money was tight. Okay. And so I, I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to go because I just want them to leave me alone. And I went, and that night they raffle off like a big book. Oh, yeah. And I won the raffle. I'm sure I won it. <laughs> um, but that was... Which is just the big AA book. Yeah. It's the, it's the AA Bible, It right? is the Bible. Yes, right. And um, I haven't had a drink since. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what it was, but I was like... It, it was like they, they told me that, you know, 90 meetings in 90 days. Mm-hmm. And my feeling was that I have nothing else to lose. Why don't I just do what they say? And if at the end of 90 days I want to drink again, I will. Yeah. Didn't. It's unbelievable that you haven't had a drink since, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it right. seems like the most unlikely story, especially with the attitude you went into the meeting with your parents with. Right. I sense you're a little emotional about it now. I am. Yeah. I am because it's, it's, I would never have what I have today. I would have died. I would yeah. have died. And a year after, my brother did die. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, that was one of those things. And all of our friends, when my and my brother committed suicide. Yes. So when um, when that happened, all my friends were like, "Oh gosh, she's going to drink again." And it was like, I looked at him in his casket, and I was like, "I don't want to die, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what my life has in front of me, but I don't want to. I don't want to be there." Yeah. And it was again that how do I climb out of that well right. kind of feeling? I don't want to. And I knew I was climbing out of the well, but I knew there was so much more work I had to do. It seems like almost like cruel, insurmountable odds that you're only a year sober. You know, you're not mm-hmm. even, initially you're not committed to it. You want just your parents off your back. Right. And then you lose Barney. Is yeah, that, Barney. Is that our nickname? His name was Mark. We called him Barney. And my life's identity for so long was Barney's little sister. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So... Barney takes his life. Yeah. Um, only a year later. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I didn't know you were only a year into sobriety. Yeah. What a, what a beckoning call to drink again. I can understand why your fa- friends and family were like, oh, let's keep our eyes on Laura. You know. Yeah. Like, um, was it? It doesn't look like it was a challenge. It looked like you were like it was a clarion call for you. It like, was very. It was so clarifying. I've never had anything that clarifying in my life. Yeah. Because I knew I were, I, and and it was like this thing of I, I obviously devastated. It caught me completely off guard that he did what he did. You didn't anticipate it. No, but in retrospect, you can see, mm-hmm. you know. But it was one of those things where it was like I don't, I don't want to die. I, I, I've got so much. I, I had gotten back in with the government. I had a really good job. I was in an intern program that would lead me to better jobs and promotions, even without a college degree. And I was excited about that. I liked my work. And mm-hmm. um, I, I was just like, I, 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 can't, I can't be there. I hope this doesn't feel like a cruel question. Did, did you need to see Barney in that casket in order to know you didn't want to die? I think I knew. I think that was just kind of like the, the, the I, I think I knew. I just don't think, it, I think it was kind of the, Final. The, the final thing where mm-hmm. it was like, I'm on a path right now, and I have to trust it. Yeah. And I have to believe that I'm going to be okay. Yep. And that's hard. Is that something that was ingrained in you and your family? Do you feel like, no, that's just me? That, that's me. Yeah. I think it's me because I, 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 when I work with kids who are struggling, I often find that the ones that have been identified as kind of the the if she would just do things differently, things would be okay. I relate to them because I think, you know what? I'm the communicator. I was a communicator in our family. Mm -hmm. Nobody else was, even today. I think like, you know, my oldest brother, not so much. Right. My mom has really grown a lot. I'm really proud of her. Um, But, you know, this, this openness and wanting to hit it head on yeah. is kind of me. I don't, I don't see, I think I'm different. You, you do have, you exude this life force. Even as you talk about the darkest times, I, I can feel that you kind of somehow knew like you knew you could find your way out of the well, like, you know, which is striking because I think a lot of people at their darkest times, there's just hopelessness. There's just right. darkness. Um, I harbor this belief and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. Um, that I, 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 I rarely think that addiction stands alone. I, um, I hook onto this 
idea of availability or connection, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I always think like, oh, there's, there's something accompanying that, some lack of availability, either within a family or within friends or, you know, mm-hmm. but somehow when you're addicted, that's a symptom of being disconnected from mm-hmm. other people somehow. Was that, was that a, do you believe in that's true? And was, if so, was that a factor in your addiction? Um, I think it was more of a, the addiction was more of a part of things that had occurred when I was younger mm-hmm. that made me want to numb out or avoid. Got it. I think, and it was a lack perhaps, and this is, you know, a feeling like I could trust people to hear what I had to say. I think that may have been like, I may have felt like my family wasn't available. Uh-huh. And really, nobody knew kind of the background of what was going on when I was a kid. In fact, I really wasn't in touch with kind of some of the stuff that had happened until I was older. So did that, was that AA meeting um, an important night in your life? Not just because you stopped drinking, but, you know, did you feel heard in there? Was AA, was AA a savior for you? Absolutely. AA, uh, it did save my life. And it gave me, I mean, the whole thing about experience, strength, and hope, and having um, a place to go where people understood you automatically. And, and I, I do think AA is, is a great thing for helping people get sober. And I don't go to as many meetings. In fact, I, I probably would say I rarely go. Mm-hmm. But I, every day I do the work of AA. You do. I still, I wake up in the morning, I say my prayers, I do my serenity prayer, I read my readings every single day. I have a book in my office that if I haven't read it at home, I read it here. Yeah. You, it's, it's changing the way you live and the way that you are. And that's, you know, I wish I had more time to go to meetings. I should probably try to carve it out, mm-hmm. but I do the work and I, I still do on yeah. a daily basis. Steps four through six are always ongoing. Remind me what steps four through six steps, are. Step four. Well, the main one that I think step four is your character defects. Being open to the things that you do that get in the way. Mm-hmm. And that's judgmental, being resentful. Um, you know, those those kinds of things are the biggest things that I feel. Like st- step four is the one. Yeah. And you know, five and six are about making a making a list of Got people it. you've hurt and then making amends. Um, and you need to do that on a daily basis. And, you, and it's something that, you know, with with kids, you can teach them those kind of things, you know. And I think my girls both have kind of, they, they try to work that too. Yeah, yeah. It seems just like it heightens your sense of self-awareness, maybe appreciation for mm-hmm. the day, right? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I love, um, my, my father was an AA my whole life, and oh, um, wow. I have a block in my office with the serenity prayer on it. I have one of his coins with me right. all the time. It's a little good luck charm, but um, I always think the serenity prayer is um, so liberating, right? To, to, like, recognize some things I can't change, and I'll just, I have to just let those go. Like, let it you know? go. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it, that's such a gift, I think, to maybe to us and our clients. But um, so... Why do you think it doesn't work for everybody? You know, like I'm thinking about about the model and I'm thinking right. about my, some of my father's friends who would just struggle back and forth from drinking to sober to drinking to sober. And, you know, um, and he had a moment where he just stopped. And, right. and you had this moment where you just stopped. And mm-hmm. it feels like such an anomaly because I feel like, oh, the odds are so against that happening for a person. Exactly. And I would say that the thing that makes it easier is the fact that it is an all or nothing. 
Like if it was food, you know, huh. it, it's different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah you don't right. have to drink to live. Right. Just like when I quit smoking. I quit smoking too, by the way. Um, when I quit smoking, it was one of those things. Uh, it was an all or nothing. Yeah. Food is different. Food is another one. That's a tough one. Yeah. You know, because right. you do have to eat to live. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that the drinking that part was like, I, I can remember somebody in a me- one of my first meetings saying, if you told people who had cancer that all they had to do was come to meetings and stop doing one thing, don't you think they would? And I was like, yeah. You know, like, and this is all I have to do. And I saw people in that meeting that night that, like, that had something that, like, I want. They always say, find somebody that has something that you want, like, the way they are, the way they live. Yeah. And ask them to be your sponsor, that kind of thing. And I think it's true. You know, I saw people that were, like, having successful lives, and, and it was, they were happy. And I d- it wasn't a meeting about just talking about how fun drinking was and how, God, it sucks that we can't do it anymore. Right. You know? Right, right. It was about the future, and yeah. it gave you hope. Huh? It did, and I think sometimes it does. There are times, and I mean, everybody has a different perspective, but sometimes it can feel like they that the meetings are all the same. Sometimes you can, but that's the time that you have to find a different meeting. Right. You know, and there's right. tons of them everywhere. Right. No, but that's it, it's, it's it's really it's really sound advice, and I I'm heartened by the fact that that you have even. All these years later, thirty years later, thirty-one, right? thirty-one, mm-hmm. um, so much faith in in the program. Oh, that absolutely, it really, truly worked for you. It does, and I have a lot of clients that are, you know, new, you know, trying to quit, yeah. and you know, I, I'm not certified in in alcohol or drugs, but right. I, I, that that field, but you know, helping them get started, that's part of it, you know. Absolutely. So. For somebody who, for years, due to some early childhood experiences, uses alcohol to cope and then decides, nope, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. living, you know, um, what impact does it have when you lose Mark, Barney? Barney uh, you know, like, yeah. uh, well, what, what, you know, and, and how, how do you get past that? Or how do you work through that? Or do you uh, ever? Well, I think it's always kind of there. And, it all, and it's been almost 30 years now. Yeah. So um, I, th- I think what it is is that, you know, you just you have to lean into it and let yourself feel whatever you feel. And, you know, I thought that when that happened that my family would talk more mm-hmm. about, like, the reality of what he did, but nobody did. Like, I don't think my dad ever uttered the word suicide. No kidding. No. I don't even think my mom did until after my dad passed two years ago. Wow. And now we talk about it a lot. Is that right? Yeah, we've talked about it. Well, she's trying to make sense. She, you know, she lost her mom when she was four. Mm -hmm. You know, she lived a chaotic life. And then my brother died when she was like 50. Think about how, and and to bury your child. Child, yeah. Yeah, I mean. And then my dad, who she had been with her whole life since she was like 19, you know, and so. I can see where you gained some respect for your mother just for being able to bear the loss. Absolutely. And. And to bear the loss, and I think to kind of not do, she had to kind of follow what my dad did because that's what she always did. Right. And so once he was gone, she was, as much as they loved each other, I think it kind of held her, it kind of stunted her emotions. And so now she, we talk about it a lot. That's, and she's um, way open. Is she? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, I always thought she was smarter than my dad. Uh-huh. And she could have been <laughs> a lot of different things. Right. And she has been amazing in, you know, all of this. And she's, 
you know what? It's funny because she'll say, I'm so, like, I did the triathlon this year. Not well, but I did it. And she was there to watch. And, and I don't think you have to be self-deprecating, <laughs> man. You did a triathlon. That's badass. It was bad not done ass. well. <laughs> <laughs> but she was there to watch. And, like, the whole day she was like, I am so proud of you. And I was like, well, thanks. It's, it's funny because I don't know when it happened, but, like, and I, I guess I need to talk about when I did go back to school and when I did finish. Yeah. Finally. But at some point, I don't need to hear it from anybody. It's enough that I did it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so, um, so, but her being there, it was, it was nice. It was nice to hear it. It, it always is. Well, I love, I love the arc of the story of your family kind of opening up because, you mm-hmm. know, like I always figure, you know, um, in families where there's a suicide, there's this tendency to kind of like, seal the doors and yep. you know like you know uh suddenly we're untouchables right and, um, and we're a statistic and we're a statistic and that's mm-hmm. our story that is and that's his story you mm-hmm. know like i i worry about this about my brother often is mm-hmm. like you know my, so he he's only been gone 15 years he's been gone half the time and i always worry like no people aren't going to remember how funny he was. People right. are going to remember what a ridiculous artist he was. And he right. was s- smarter than all the rest of us, you right. know. They're going to remember that, you know, he took his life that, right. that on December 9th, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you ever worry about that with your with with Barney that people are going to not know him? Well, and I always I always feel like and my brother's buried at Arlington and that's where my dad is buried as well and I whenever I go to visit and I see I just think gravestones stink because it's a beginning and an end. There's nothing, you know, all they get in between is that hyphen. Ugh. And it's so unfair. I want to say, oh, my God, he was funny. <laughs> he, you know, there was so much about him that people won't know. And I, and my kids will never know. My husband never knew him. Right, right. So That's it's, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird to think that my life was, you know, that there are all these, like. Segments. Yeah. Yeah. And. So I feel like I have to keep him alive. And some of his stories, like, and, and my youngest daughter really has his sense of humor and kind of my sense of humor. So, but she looks like him and she reminds me of him a lot. She it, really does. It's kind of nice to have some of that, like, that feel mm-hmm. of someone you've lost in your family, right? It is. Yeah. And, and when I look at her sometimes, I'm just like, it's her, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, there a, it is. it's, there's the joke and he knows it and I know it. But um, yeah, so I, I think that when when a suicide happens, I think we we do close up, yeah, you know, and we do shut down, and then there's the worry about, oh gosh, if it happened to him, is it going to happen to me? You know, like that kind of fear. I, I remember thinking that briefly, and then I can remember thinking, I don't want to die, and that's kind of where that I don't want to die came in that flip. Did you um did you ever have it in you like you know when when my brother committed suicide? I, I literally thought I couldn't, uh, I, you know, I've had like, you know, I get anxious moments. Mm-hmm. I probably had some depressive moments, but I've never felt inclined to do that. Never. And in, in a way I feel I, I, I was kind of, um, his method was horrifying. And, um, and in a way I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I, I wouldn't have the guts to do that. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't approach the ledge he approached. No, you know what I mean? No. Much less go over it, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I would say I never had that thought. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think a lot of kids feel like life would be better if maybe I weren't here. And maybe that doesn't mean I'm going to kill myself kind right. of thing. But I never felt like I ever wanted to, it was, it was never a thought. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But after he died, I was like, what? I think maybe that's where that whole thing that I, there's a reason I'm here was, 
the survivor's guilt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, why why did I make it through and he didn't? He was funnier. Yeah. You know, like, he was he was a good person too. Yes, right, right, he, right, right. You know, so that's when I started kind of thinking of suicide in those terms as like cancer of the soul a little Oof, bit. Yes. You know, that was the only way I could make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And people said some really, I, I mean, I think people are well-intended, but people will always say stuff like, well, did you know he was going to do it? You know, like things like that. And you're like, yeah, and I just sat there and watched. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's like, of course I knew. Of yeah, course yeah. I knew, I and knew I didn't day, do I anything. Time. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about it like that, I mean, people, people, I think are well intended, but they just, and it, I think what it did was it made me more sensitive at that time, even before I went back to school and you know became a social worker and a counselor. Right. Um, to really be aware of like where other people were and things, and to really kind of listen, because when people, whenever people like will. I'll be talking to them and they'll go, they'll put their hand up like it's a gun to their head, which was my brother's manner. Right. I'll be like, it, it took me a long time before I wouldn't go, you know, and kind of right. freak out when the they lynch. do it. Yeah. 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 And, and now it's just kind of, I don't do it <laughs> like that. But <laughs> I, you know, I, th- I think it's, you know, time does a lot of things and it's hard when you're in it to realize it, but you do get through some stuff. Yeah, you do. You know? You do. And I think when I went back, when okay so i at the end of okay so my brother died in 86 i had this great job that had a lot of promotion potential with the with the government and at the end of that job i had a chance to move to germany and i can totally th- remember thinking if my brother were alive he would say you can't go to germany you can't even speak german and he was actually born in germany ironically because my dad was stationed there when uh-huh. he was a kid but i ended up taking the job and I didn't know German. I had a three-year contract. Okay. And so I, and a one-way ticket. And I'm and all my belongings in a boat going over to Germany. Can I stop you yes. there? Yes. Okay. Um, will you stick around and talk about this for a yes. little while? All right, let's do, so um, we, Laura is kind enough to come back for another episode. Um, so, uh, so tune in in a day or two and Laura and I will keep talking. You can find the Undo Anxiety podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, WGN Plus, and LiveLeadPlay.com. Um, there is a free parenting program on my website at drjohnduffy.com. If you have any thoughts about, um, what I might talk about on this podcast or for somebody you know would like to be a guest, uh, email me at johngduffy at drjohnduffy.com. And on behalf of Laura and I, um, I appreciate your time and, um, and come back and visit us in a day or two. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>